Proverbs 1.17 Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Today, my goal is to expose that temptation is a trap. And I hope that you knowing that the trap is set, that you can evade it. You may be seated. In vain, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. When I was a kid, we had a lot of birds around our house, South Florida. And uh, I guess I come from a hunter-gatherer family. So we decided that we were going to trap some birds. We weren't going to eat them. We didn't really even want to hurt them. We just wanted to catch them. And so we started devising a trap. Now, it wasn't like today where you could just Google trap, you know, catch birds or whatever and find a hundred different ways to do that. We, I don't know where we got our information, but we, we got a box. Back then, you didn't have a lot of plastic bins, a box. And then I know our, our trap of choice was my mother's laundry basket. I know the holes were too big and the birds could get through, but we were kids and we probably didn't know that at the time. So you got the laundry basket and you get a stick to prop it up and you get some string, probably my dad's carpenter twine, I don't remember exactly, and you carefully unspool it and you roll it back to either the laundry room or into the door, the back door of the house, and you, you set the trap for the birds. Now you've got to get some bread from your mom, whether you ask her or not is not important at this point, and... Um, you break off little crumbs, and you put some outside the trap, but you put most of it on the inside so the little unsuspecting birds will fly down and hop around and hop inside your trap, and there you are, little kid, and you've got the string and the stick, and you pull on the twine, and the stick comes out, and the trap collapses, and you catch the bird, except it never worked. Not one time. I don't know how many times we tried to do that, and I tried to get in touch with my childhood years to visualize, remember, if a bird ever hopped inside of that trap. I don't really remember that, but I know if it did, it kind of squirted right out one of the holes and it was gone. Well, even though my traps didn't work, traps do work because a lot of birds and a lot of fish and a lot of game have given their life because a, a wily hunter set a snare laid a trap, and caught his quarry. Spiritually, baited traps also work. Many men and women have fallen snared to the wiles of the devil. The Bible speaks about this in 2 Timothy 2. Paul said that there are some people who need to recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who have been taken captive of him at his will. When I was a teenager, someone encouraged me to start reading the book of Proverbs over and over and over. 31 chapters, you can read it through in most months. You might have to make up a chapter here and there. But I started reading Proverbs and I was struck by Proverbs 1.17 that in vain the net is set in the sight of any bird. I remembered when I was a younger kid that we did it many times, 
And maybe that's the reason it didn't work. Maybe the birds were all sitting up in the trees, on the wires, looking down at these little kids, setting a trap for them and laughing, you know, in their own bird-like way, saying, we're not going in there. In vain, the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Proverbs, a a whole book of pithy sayings, one-liners that will give you guidance for life. And Proverbs 1.17, the commentaries say, is the first actual proverb in the book of Proverbs. There's an introduction, a setup, and then this first of many Proverbs in 31 chapters. And the location of this proverb is very strategic. Solomon opens his book by saying, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. Already you get in your mind, he's trying to tell you there's a trap, right? Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is just, right, just, and fair. These proverbs, Solomon said, will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. That's why you should start reading Proverbs while you're young so you won't become an old fool. Proverbs 1 and 10. He starts this story. My child, my son, if sinners entice you, Turn your back on them. They may say, come and join us. Let's hide and kill someone. Just for fun, let's ambush the innocent. But in a few verses, Solomon says, but these people set an ambush for themselves. They are trying to get themselves killed. That's what he says in verse 18. But that verse before is when Solomon says, it's a trap. And in vain, the net, the trap is set in the sight of any bird. Solomon's purpose in Proverbs is my purpose today. I want to shout it. I want to show you that there's a trap that has been set for your soul and you need to avoid it at any cost. If you see the trap, and you have understanding, you will not be caught in the snare that Satan has set for you. But I think some birds are smarter than some people I've watched in their lives, for they just go headlong, right, and take the bait of Satan and go into a snare that has been set for them. The Bible says that it is a wide gate And many go in thereat. It's a road that leads to hell. And a lot of people go straight in that way. You have to search for the way of eternal life. A trap is set because birds get hungry. That fish get hungry. They blunder in and they get caught. Solomon wants you to think about the consequences of your decision. Don't be dumb. Don't be like a bird that just goes for the bait, that piece of bread, or the fish that goes for the baited hook, 
only to find out that it was set for you. It is a trap. Think about what you're doing, where you're going, what you're saying, the people with whom you associate. Solomon wants us to think about the consequences of our decisions. Don't just be impulsive. Because every decision determines our destiny one decision at a time. You cannot make a moral decision, whether good or bad, without it having a major impact on your life. Every decision forces and determines your destiny. Now, temptations are traps, and they're as old as the human race. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. You may think you're the only person that's ever been there, faced that, been tempted like that. But Paul says you need to get over thinking you're that special. But the stuff Satan uses to tempt you are the same devices, the same snares that he's been setting for people all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make the way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Now let me just remind you of some insights out of these verses. First of all, when you think you're not vulnerable, you are. When you think you've finally gotten so mature as a Christian, so spiritual that you and God are just like that, when you think you've got all of this worked out, take heed. When you think you stand in your own righteousness and history and goodness, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. And then, he said that all temptation has some common elements. It's common to man. The same stuff the devil's been using all these years, he's still using those same tricks. In fact, he's been watching human nature since the beginning of time. And he's probably learned a few things along the way. He studies his prey just like a predator studies his prey. The quality of temptation is the same stuff that's always been. But then Paul says, but God will with the temptation, he'll give you an escape hatch. He will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is always a way out. If you missed Wednesday night, this past Wednesday, watch it online. Brother Brad Fain, our family pastor, did a tremendous job. Your way of escape may be like Joseph running out of Potiphar's house, leaving his coat in his wife's hand, Potiphar's wife's hand. But there's always a way out of temptation. You see, human nature has not changed. The bait may come in new packages, but it has still the same substance that it appeals to our base nature. It appeals to our flesh, our carnal nature. And it always is a temptation because it pulls on us. There are new ways that the bait can be delivered. But it's still common to man. Now, we're not ignorant, he says, of Satan's devices. The lack 
of forgiveness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, will set you up for the snare of the devil. 2 Corinthians 2.11. Look at this verse. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I'm sure he has a, a devil's game plan. But the Bible unveils, it reveals just what his plan is. We're not ignorant of his devices. He has a method of operation, a modus operandi, but we can know his plan. We can use the escape hatch. We can get away every time. Now James tells us how we're tempted. James chapter 1 verse 12. King James. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, and this is not talking about testing of the Lord, it's talking about the temptation to do evil, to sin. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, every woman, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, this is a word picture of an animal being caught in a trap, a fish being taken by a hook, and there are two components of this. First of all, he's drawn away of his own lust. There's an internal component to temptation. That's the stuff that we're drawn to that we shouldn't do, but we want to. We're drawn away by stuff that is in us. And if you think that you're above what I'm saying right now, you think you stand, be careful lest you fall. As I said last Sunday, if you have a pulse, you need this message. If you're still breathing, I hope you are. You need this message because these temptations are common to man. So the first part of this temptation is that we're drawn out by our own desires. And the second part of this is there, there is an enticement. There is the bait of Satan. Now, not everything that we desire is evil. God created us in his image. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There's a lot of good and pleasurable things that we desire that are not bad. We can enjoy God's creation. God's given us a desire to marry and to procreate. But Satan corrupts God's natural desires so that people lust and steal and commit, commit immoral acts. And this always happens to people when he twists what God intended to good. For good. This enticement to sin. You know, have you ever heard about someone who's addicted to drugs? What do we say about them? We say they are hooked. They're hooked. They've got something controlling them that is stronger than them, that is pulling them in a direction that they do not want to go. I spent a few days fishing in my life, and sometimes the fish swims toward the boat. But he really doesn't intend to swim toward the boat. He's just trying to figure out some way to get away. 
You can be pulling, but if you've got good line or good drag on your reel, you're reeling a fish in a direction that it does not want to go. And there are a lot of people in our world that have been hooked by sin and they're being pulled to a place called a lake of fire. They don't want to go there, but they cannot get away. Satan's devices. Now, some people are just willingly ignorant, but most of us don't want to be ignorant. We want to know about the trap. We want to see the bait that is hiding the hook. Temptation involves our own lust. Temptation involves the bait. Now, in James chapter 1, I already read this in verse 14. Let's look at verse 15. James 1 and 15. Then... When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, James is using the analogy of a baby being conceived. And there is a temptation, there is internal desire, there is bait, and it conceives an act. It's born in your mind, it's born or hatched in hell, But then there is the conception, excuse me, there is the birth of that temptation and lust conceives and leads to sin. And sin, when it grows up, leads to death. The wages of sin is death. The end of sin is death. We used to say when I was a teenager, LSD, the drug of choice of the 60s, lust Sin, death. Run for your life because there is a trap that has been set for your soul. Now, we have a few really good fishermen in our church. If I call them up right now, they could preach the best next part of my message better than me. I was thinking about this, Brother Jimmy Duncan, Brother Larry Henson. You guys could do this. You can come after church if I get any of this wrong. But also every man that's ever had a rod and reel, you know what I'm getting ready to say, and you could probably do this better, right? I have a few kinds of bait that I use to fish for largemouth bass. If you go to BassProShots.com, please don't do it right now, and you click on bait, not clickbait, but if you click on bait, it'll tell you that they have 2,205 different kinds of bait that they can sell you for bass, you've got soft baits like plastic worms and crawfish and little swim baits that wiggle in the water. Top water baits, which may include some of them like frogs and jerk baits, buzz baits, chatter baits. There's hard baits like diving baits and spinner baits, spoons and lipless crank baits and diving crank baits and flipping and casting jigs. But all of them are designed by Bass Pro Shops and other people, for one purpose, they're designed to catch fishermen. (laughs) Who think they will catch fish. Right? We need all these options, 2,205 kinds of bait. Now, that's not all for bass. Because we don't know what they're feeding on right now. And they may not feed at all. But we want options. Is it spring? Is it fall? 
Are they hitting top water? Do we need to go down deep to find where they are? But a good fisherman knows how to find the fish and knows how to find food that the fish wants. But ultimately, it's all food. It's something that the fish naturally longs for. But we just need to present it in a way that that fish doesn't know that it's a trap. The bait always covers the hook. And the camouflage always covers the net. And the bait, the bread, whatever it is that leads that animal into that snare or under that net is all designed to fool that prey so the predator can get what he wants. And it's a trap. In Proverbs, the net is set to catch a bird. In James, a hook is baited for a fish. Now, some of you think you're so good that you can nibble at the bait and never get hooked. You think you're a bait stealer. Satan's a whole lot smarter than that. The bait is a temptation. And in the same way that every animal is vulnerable for something it hungers for, every human being has a side of us that is not good and it is not godly. And that's why Satan knows that he can bait us because we've already got issues inside of us. We can be drawn away of our own lust. That's the first component that we've got to deal with the stuff in us that longs for what Satan is dangling in front of us to draw us in. Solomon said, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. Today I want you to see the bait of Satan. My goal is to expose the temptation trap so you can evade it. I'm trying to yank back the camouflage to show you the net that is set for you that Satan desires to pull you into a place where he is destined to go and he wants you to join him there in torments forever and ever. Now John writing to believers in 1 John chapter 2, told us some things about temptation. So let's go there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the world system of evil, all the stuff that's trying to destroy your soul, all that is there breaks down into three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Can you tell me that Satan is so dumb that he only has three ways to catch people? It must be pretty good because it's worked a whole lot. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. John wants you to see that this stuff is going to destroy you, but if you will resist it, you can abide with God forever. Now, this, these three elements were there when Eve was tempted in the Garden of Eden. I mean, you only have to read three chapters in your Bible to already see the devil at work. Genesis 3 and 6, I'm going straight to the point. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
Does that sound like the lust of the flesh? And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Does that sound like the lust of the eyes? Amen. Amen. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband and he ate with her. He just joined her in her sin. The Bible said that, that Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived, but Adam made the choice to join his wife in her sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. When Jesus was tempted, Matthew 4, Luke 4, speaks of the temptations. These same three elements of temptation are there. The Bible said that Jesus was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. The first temptation, the devil comes to Jesus, Luke 4 and 3. He says, you know, if you're the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, command that this piece, this stone, become bread. Work a miracle to satisfy your own flesh, the lust of the flesh. And then Jesus, of course, resists him temptation by quoting Scripture. The second temptation, the devil takes him to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, like a quick video. He sees every world empire and the devil says that I have the authority to give these kingdoms to anyone I want and I will give it to you now if you will just worship me. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You don't have to be buried in a tomb. I'll give you everything that you've ever been promised right now. No pain and all the gain. That's what the devil promises. But it's a trap. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. Third temptation. Takes him to Jerusalem. The devil takes Jesus to a really high pinnacle of the temple. And there they are, you know, it'd be kind of a scary place if you, you know, got acrophobia. He's up there and he looks down and the devil says, let me tell you something that you could do right now. You want everybody to believe that you're the son of God? You want people to follow you? Is that what you really want? You're trying to make a name for yourself? Let me tell you what you do and this will work. You just kind of leap off the pinnacle of this temple, fall toward the ground, and just before you splat, let your father come by and just bear you up on angels' wings. Let him stop you, and you'll just make a real soft landing. You'll go, ta-da! And everyone will look at you, and they'll know that you've got supernatural power, and they'll follow your feet, and they'll follow you. All you've got to do is do this. But it is an appeal to the pride of life. It is just a trap. As inventive as the people of Bass Pro Shops are, Satan is even more inventive. And he knows how to make the bait look different and fresh. He knows how to deliver it to your phone, to your house, to your mind in a lot of brand new ways. But if you strip off the camouflage, you're just going to find that it is the lust of the flesh. It is the lust of the eyes. It is the pride of life. He's coming at you in a new way, but it's the same old thing. 
opinion. It's just a trap. The lust of the flesh or the appetites of the flesh. You're hungry? Eat whatever you want. You've got sexual urges? Satisfy them now. Forget waiting for marriage. Forget staying in your marriage. Don't deprive yourself of what you want. You got an appetite? The Bible speaks about people whose God is their belly. They just do whatever pleases them. Instead of having the discipline to say no. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you develop disciplines because that's what the word means. You're a follower of Jesus. Blessed of the flesh. You want to feel better? Get drunk. Get high. Spend a few minutes on the internet at a porn site. That'll make you feel better. That'll make the pain go away. Live in a fake fantasy world. Then tomorrow you can deal with reality. Let's pick up a few crumbs here and there. But Solomon says, it's a trap. I'm trying to show you that it's a trap. The lust of the flesh tries to get us to trade our integrity for momentary pleasure. The lust of the flesh leads us to commit the works of the flesh. It's in my notes, media have them, but I'm going to skip them. But it's Galatians 5, 19-21, an entire list. Lust of the eyes, see it, get it. It's pretty, shiny, it's going to bring you pleasure. For the man Achan in Old Testament Israel, it's a wedge of gold, it's a beautiful garment. Just get it, hide it under your tent. So what if God said you can't have it? You can have it. See, you just got it. So evidently you can have it. Hide it under your tent. No one will ever know. Oh yeah, well... Oh, I know it's his wife, but I want her for my own. David saw Bathsheba. The Bible said that she was a beautiful woman to look upon. David looked upon her at a time when he should not have been looking. He had power, so he sent for her and took her and committed adultery with her. The Tenth Commandment says that thou shalt not covet. That means you're to keep your eyes and your heart on your own stuff. In fact, that commandment in Exodus 20, 17 says you're not to covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his servants, his livestock, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, but the lust of the eyes cause you to look on things you should not have and desire them, and you're baited to go get them, but it is a trap. Pride of life may be birthed in insecurity out of your own poverty, out of your lack for everything. Now you make up your mind, you're not going to be that way. You're going to get more, have more. You're going to make something out of yourself. So instead of following God's path, which is humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He can exalt you in due season, you manipulate, you connive, you're dishonest, you cheat other people because you're going to be something. You're going to have something. There's an appeal to the pride of life that is always a shortcut to success. Taking credit for what others have done. Trying to be the star of every story. 
pride, the desire for more money, more power, more success, more recognition. It is an appeal to what every one of us have inside of us. It's we don't deal with it all the time. It is a pride of life. Now let me just slow down and say that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the devil doesn't have to deliver it to you or me. It's already in me. All he's got to do is bait me. And if I don't control those three areas of desire, it will destroy me. It is a trap. Moses is a hero of faith because he chose affliction with the people of God rather than suffering, enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, it's not a sin to enjoy the pleasures that God designed for us. Good food is a wonderful thing, but excessive desire leads to gluttony. God created us sexual beings, I preached about it a lot last week, enjoying intimacy with our spouse. But then there's that twisted desire that leads to adultery, fornication, and other forms of sexual sins. It's not wrong to look at beautiful things like paintings and materials and creation itself, like mountains and streams and what God has created. But when you lustfully look on what God has commanded you to avoid through pornography or people's spouses or their possessions, it becomes a sin. It's nothing wrong with wanting to get a good education and a good job and make a living and be successful so you can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. But when you have this ambition that is twisted, that has an edge on it, when you can't give glory to God, when you keep more than you should give, when you can't pay your tithes, when you can't be generous with other people, when that desire for power or achievement is out of order, it becomes the pride of life. My goal today is to expose the temptation trap so you can evade it. Solomon writes about this and he tells us that surely in vain the net is set in the sight of any bird. Now a lot of Proverbs are those little pithy statements. Remember, the book is like that. But in chapter 7, Solomon gives some advice and he tells a story. And I want to tell you his story today. New Living Translation, Proverbs 7.1. Chose to not put these verses on the screen, so just follow along. Follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister. Make inside a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman than from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. Solomon sets this up by saying, I'm going to tell you a story to make a point about how temptation works. Now, this story puts the woman as the bad person and a foolish young man as the person being tempted. But we all recognize that it could be the other way. Solomon says, while I was at the window of my house, 
looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense, was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. Now, we already know that this man lacks common sense and wisdom, right? He does not love wisdom. And he's doing something very dumb. Solomon says, It was at twilight, in the evening, as deep darkness fell. Of course it's dark, so no one can see you. That's where he does his most dirty work. In the privacy of your room, or a rented room, or a place where you think no one will ever see. Solomon says, I'm looking, I'm watching all of this from my window. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. Now I want to ask you a question. Remember, this is in Bible times. But Solomon says she was seductively dressed. What do you think the difference between seductive apparel and modest apparel really is? Is there a difference between modest apparel? Because modest apparel and moral purity should go together. And ladies, I just want to take a moment to say that if you are not like this woman in Proverbs chapter 7, then don't dress like her. She is seductively dressed because she knows men can see better than they can think. So let me just ask you a couple questions while I'm here. Does the way you dress draw lustful looks from men? Are you baiting them? Unintentionally or intentionally? I mean, because there's a man, every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, men and women. And so there's got to be a bait to make sin, sin. Right? Two components and three areas of attack. I wouldn't think I would ever want to be an ally with the one who's determined to destroy everybody's soul. I wouldn't want to be part of his snare. So ladies, this could go for men in some ways, but ladies, if your apparel, this is the apparel of a harlot, Solomon said, if your apparel is too tight, low, short, or sheer, you're wearing the wrong uniform. Say, why would you say that, Pastor? Because a lot of you need to hear what I'm saying right now. And a lot of women in our world need to hear what I'm saying right now. I didn't just decide to throw this in for some random purpose. I've been here 22 years. We need to make sure that we are not baiting people and we're playing into the hands of Satan.
So if you're getting mad at me right now, that ought to tell you something. If you're blushing, if you're getting defensive, why? There's a woman that hated John the Baptist and had him killed because he called her out. So I guess, you know, we need to make sure we've got good funeral insurance. <clears throat> There's a lot of women that just played into the hands of the system of the world. They may not intentionally be trying to be bait, but they're used by men and sexually exploited. And look what's all in the news today because somebody took advantage, but they were baited. So let's not play the bait, right? Let's not be the bait. Okay, Solomon, back to you in Jerusalem. Verse 11. He's looking out his window. He's watching this, all right? He said, she was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. That meant something about where she was in this time. You're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. And this guy is dumb as a box of bricks. He does not have understanding. He's sitting there thinking he is the hottest guy in town. That she just couldn't resist him. He believes every word she says. His ego and his testosterone begin to take over. Why does she think she could get by with just throwing her arms around this young man and kissing him out on the street? Because he was there on purpose. He was drawn away of his own lust. Now she adds enticement. And Solomon is screaming at the top of his lungs. It is a trap. Verse 16. She says, My bed is spread with beautiful blankets and colorful sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He's taken a wallet full of money, and he won't even return till later this month. She tells this boy, this is not a long-term relationship. This is just till morning. Man of the house is coming home, but he's not home now, and there's no danger of us getting caught. And Solomon is looking through the window, watching and evidently hearing every word. Verse 21. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with flattery. Enticed him with flattery. Men and women, everybody in the house, don't you know that immoral men and immoral, immoral women know how to appeal to your weaknesses? They can read your need, your vulnerability. They can see the look in your eye. They can hear the tone of your voice. They know you're like a bird eyeing the bait and not seeing the net. Solomon said, 
He followed her at once. Like an ox going to the slaughter, he was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. Solomon says, guard your heart and guard your feet. Deal with those desires that you're going to have as long as you've got a pulse. And when you've got desires that you know are not right, you better lock your feet down. Don't go there if you've got feelings that are not right. Call somebody on the phone. Be accountable to a spiritual friend. Don't go there. It is a trap. I know you may think I'm beside myself, but we've got a whole history that tells us that I'm not making this up. I'm not out in left field. We've got a world full of immorality and we need to be the people of God. That's why this month I'm saying let us be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's a trap. It's a trap. Run, baby. Run away. Get out. There's an escape hatch. For many people who come to God or who have served God, this lesson is like a history lesson for them. For regardless of the nature of your sin, like a bird, you, you just flew down and hopped in and, and you didn't even realize what was happening until you were trapped. And you were hooked and being dragged into something that had to have more lies, more deception, more desires to deal with. Instead of getting better, you thought it would satisfy, but it just created a hunger for more. But for you, I have a verse of Scripture. If you've already been snared, I remember hearing this preached on when I was a teenager. I've never forgotten Psalm 124 and 7. It's a verse of hope for everyone who's ever been caught. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare. The snare is broken and we are escaped. There are people sitting here today that once were bound by sin but stand here today. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. You've been set free by the power of the Holy Ghost. Why don't you stand to your feet and give glory to God?
don't you celebrate the fact that one day Jesus forgave you of your sins. You were baptized in his name. He gave you the Holy Ghost. You used to struggle, but now you've got victory. That's it. Go ahead and praise him. Remain standing just a moment. We're going to come pray. 40 years of ministry, I know that when you talk about, you preach like this, teach like this, that everybody in the house, almost everybody, can feel a sense of like, oh my goodness, is he preaching to me? And I think I'm okay, but is there something wrong? And you can make a lot of, you know, suspects when you're preaching. That's why last Sunday I tried to say to you, that if you have a pulse, you need this message. I wanted to level the playing field because the, level, the playing field should be leveled. Because there's no one here. There is no one here who has a pulse who is home free. But by the grace of God, we can escape the snare of the devil and we can avoid the trap that he has laid for us. So when we come and pray, I don't want you to feel like if you come that you're admitting some type of guilt. Maybe so, maybe not. But who cares? Who cares if it saves my soul? Who cares if I get right with God? Who cares if I go to heaven instead of hell? Who cares if somebody knew I struggled? So I'm inviting everyone who's able to walk to come down to the front of the church today. If it's possible for you to gather with our church family, would you join me at this altar? We're going to thank God for the power of forgiveness. And whether you, if you need forgiveness or if you just are, uh, got information to help you in the future, I thank God that He has given us the power to break every chain, to overcome every temptation. I want to tell you that the net is set in vain in the sight of any bird. The devil is wasting his time because we already know what he is doing. Leave room in the aisles. Come as close as you can. Let's gather as a church family and let's open our hearts and begin to pray right now. Amen?